Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 15, called Jesus Tasted Death for Everyone. Turn to the book of Titus for a second. A little bit more of this good news, and I want you to see this idea of being declared righteous by the death of Christ. Because this little Hebrew church, Titus chapter 3 is what you want, is tempted to go back to the law, tempted to go back to the sacrificial system, tempted to go back to the blood of bulls and goats, which chapter 10 will tell us can never take away your sin. You go back to ritual, you go back to religion, you go back to good works, and you got nothing. Because if you don't have Christ, you don't have his righteousness. And if you don't have his righteousness, then you're going to stand before God in all those sins, and then he's going to deal with you accordingly. Which would you prefer? I know the pressure's hard, says the writer. I know it's difficult to be a Christian right now. I know Rome is crazy and you're getting persecuted by, you know, Jewish friends and family that don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. But hold on, because these are the truths of the gospel. Look at Titus 3, verse 4. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds, Titus 3, 5, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being, here's our word, justified, declared righteous by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen? Co-heirs with Christ. All of this, turning to your right a little bit more, you'll get back to Hebrews, done by God's plan through Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And so the writer says in Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting, it was apropos, it was appropriate for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 3. He's the creator In bringing many sons, many sons and daughters to glory, this is the result of his atoning sacrifice in Hebrews 2.9, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now the writer goes back to Hebrew and he says, it was fitting for God's plan to be this way. See the word fitting there? Do you remember when we studied Matthew 3 and Jesus goes up to John for baptism, and John says, no, 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 you need to baptize me. Jesus says, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John said, yes, Matthew 3.15. Same word in Matthew 3.15 is in Hebrews 2.10. It was fitting, appropriate. This is the way that it had to be. For Christ, who is the creator, in order to bring many sons to glory, to bring many on the glory train, (laughs) to get many to punch their ticket to glory, it had to be this way. What had to happen? That Jesus Christ, in bringing many sons to glory, was uh, perfected or to perfect the author 
founder ESV, pioneer RSV, captain KJV, leader New English Bible of their salvation through sufferings. Messiah's suffering was a stumbling block to many Jews in the first century and beyond, but prophesied. And Christ's sufferings are not something to stumble over or question, but rather to exalt in. Please hear this. Because it was fitting. This was God's plan. The God who made the universe and breathed out all the detail, all the variety, all the beauty, all the interaction. He did this same thing in the plan of salvation. In creation, he's meticulous and incredibly powerful. And the cross is another example of his glory. And in our salvation, this is what he has done. The Greek word for Jesus being the author of our salvation is archegos in Greek. It is one who initiates or originates a plan or a program for others to follow. Jesus is the pioneer. He's the pathfinder, if you like Nissan's. He brings many sons to glory. The thought here is of supremacy and personal participation or originating. The thought, says one writer of this word, author of our salvation, is uh, the thought of originating. It's capsulized in the picture of a mountain climber who goes ahead of others, chipping away footholds, inserting pittens, and extending the rope to his partners. In, 18, uh, in 1804 to 1806, Captain George Clark and Captain Meriwether Lewis, Lewis and Clark, were sent by President Thomas Jefferson to find a way across the old trackless west from St. Louis to the Pacific coast. Such an exploration involved tremendous preparation, special provisions, and wise decisions. It was accomplished through great danger and many hardships. As the Lewis and Clark journals make clear, when the explorers returned, the whole American West lay open to development. This is the thought behind the word author or archegos. Jesus is our archegos, opening up completely a new spiritual country. He has made the way. There's an imaginary conversation between one of Bunyan's favorite authors, and it's something like this. Lord, why did you allow yourself to be treated that way? So you could be in heaven. Why did you allow them to do those things to you so that you could make it to glory? This is what God has done through Jesus Christ. And so they need, these uh, readers, recipients need to see afresh that Jesus Christ has blazed the trail. He both is our savior and he is sympathetic because before he asked anybody to go through it, he went through it himself. And the writer will say later, you know, I know you're going through a tough time, but none of you have had to shed your blood and that's a good thing. So hold on to Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. For both he who sanctifies 11 and those who are sanctified are all from one father. Some scholars think that that's God the father. Some argue that's Adam as the founder of mankind or the original human, for which reason he is not ashamed to, ashamed to call them brethren. NIV might help us. But the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now Jesus is the last Adam and he became one of us and he's not ashamed of us. 
He's not ashamed of his family. Sometimes, you know, you go to introduce a family member and, well, <laughs> you'd like to say that you're proud of every single family member in your family, but, you know, sometimes, well, <laughs> you know, you might go to a holiday gathering and you might disown a child who's misbehaving or you might say, no, no, that, that one doesn't belong to me. <laughs> or you might say, no, no, that's not my uncle or... Do you know that as fallible and as many foibles and imperfections as we all have, Jesus is not ashamed of you. Now hear the writer of Hebrews. So don't you be ashamed of him. Jesus doesn't move away from you at the Christmas gathering and say, no, (laughs) don't know, don't know that one. No, he moves towards you. He blazed the trail. So don't you move away from him. Don't you be ashamed of the gospel because he's not ashamed of you in the presence of his father. In fact, he's your great advocate. Amen? In fact, we would argue that we could say these words would be put in Jesus' mouth. He declares you righteous before the father because he's your great advocate. So don't you move away from him. He, he was willing to bear the shame of the cross. He despised the shame, but he did it for the joy set before him. He did it for you. He did it for the glory of his father. So don't be ashamed of him. Now, in verse 11, we have a quote. And in verse 11, uh, we're getting to the quote in verse, actually in verse 12. So notice in verse 12, it says, saying, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. Now, we're going to have three quotes. The first one is from Psalm 22, 22. You all know that Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm, right? It's my God, my God, it opens. Why have you forsaken me? And it's all about really Jesus's thoughts and perhaps even his words from the cross. And to further emphasize the point, don't be ashamed of him. Don't move away from him. Don't drift Christ is going to proclaim his brethren in the midst of the congregation. In the midst of the assembly, he will stand up for his people. He's already done it. He's already fight for your, he already fought the good fight for your soul. And he's pictured here in the great congregation, uh, perhaps fast forwarding to the war of the world to come and saying to his father, He is mine. She is mine. They are mine. He belongs to me. And the writer of Hebrews goes back and quotes a psalm that's definitely based in persecution in the death of Messiah. And again, quoting now from Isaiah 8, 17 and 18, which is also about a backdrop of persecution. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, the children whom God has given me. When Jesus was enduring the cross, uh, he didn't despise, uh, he didn't pay back evil for evil, evil, but he um, rather entrusted himself to his father. One thing I want you to see uh, in verse 12, going back for a moment, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren, the name of, I believe, his father there. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. Many scholars have taken this to mean that when we're up in heaven or when we are down here on the earth and the new, he- new, he- new earth and new heaven, um, Jesus Christ is going to sing in the midst of the congregation. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. I'm producer Rob of Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lentz, reminding you that this is a listener-supported ministry, and we're really hoping you would consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Your contribution helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with the -the behind-the-scenes work for this ministry, which reaches a lot of people like you. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner for at least $10 a month and visit walkintruth.com to give. Now, I'm really excited about this. In fact, we all are. As a thank you, we'll send you more content from Pastor Michael and the Walk in Truth team. You will have quick access to our daily episodes. You can watch videos of Pastor Michael's most recent Sunday sermons and access to our bonus podcast and video series, A Step Closer. This month's series is called An Invitation to Intimacy, a look at intimacy in marriage through the Song of Solomon. Check this out. That's how I showed my anger. Mm. Not in words, but in, you can't have me. Mm-hmm. And that obviously took a toll in our relationship. Even for me, in a church that didn't shy away from it, it wasn't talked about a ton, but I remember getting married and my wife and I being like, this is weird. Like, so good now, I guess. (laughs) There was infidelity, just a lot of financial issues, you know, all those things that make the top list of of why a marriage is hard. The Lord's given us all things to enjoy, the the scriptures say, and freedom is a big word as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, what's happened in the church is that the church has not always sent a message that we're supposed to enjoy life and be free. Mm. We've put a lot of unnecessary weights on people. Mm. And I'm not saying that there aren't boundaries and there's things that God wants done a certain way, but there's also freedoms that we can enjoy pleasure in life. (laughs) All this and more is available to you as a thank you for becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Please visit walkintruth.com and click donate today. That's walkintruth.com, click donate. Walkintruth.com, click donate. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Quoting now from Isaiah 8, 17 and 18, which is also about a backdrop of persecution. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children of God, the children whom God has given me. When Jesus was enduring the cross, uh, he didn't despise, uh, he didn't pay back evil for evil, for evil but he um, rather entrusted himself to his father. One thing I want you to see uh, in verse 12 Going back for a moment, I will proclaim thy name to my brethren, the name of, I believe, his father there. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing thy praise. Many scholars have taken this to mean that when we're up in heaven or when we are down here on the earth and the new, new, new earth and new heaven, um, Jesus Christ is going to sing in the midst of the congregation. Now, I love to hear Brother Bert's voice, and some of you others have beautiful voices. And, you know, when the music, the instrumentation goes down a little bit and your voices rise, that's beautiful. But can you imagine Jesus' singing voice? Well, he's going to sing. And he's going to sing the praise of God in the midst of the congregation. All these Old Testament quotations 
really have one main point, the solidarity of Christ with his people. He is for you, not against you. He is with you. He will not forsake you. He will not leave you. Again, the emphasis, so don't walk away. I know times are hard, but hang on. Final verses. Since then, the children share in flesh and blood. They're human. He himself likewise also partook of the same. He became human. That through death, Jesus might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. R. Kent Hughes puts it this way. The fear of death was stalking the tiny storm-tossed church. In fact, it was causing a paralyzing fear. Such fear was immobilizing like a deadly cobra's stare upon its prey. And so you can see this early church, threat of persecution looming, maybe some people making threats uh, to the church or to the leaders of the church, and they were paralyzed by fear. But the writer of Hebrews says, don't be paralyzed by fear, even the fear of death, because death, verse 14, look at it, has been rendered powerless. The stinger of death is gone. It's been plucked from the bee, if you will. There's no more stinger. You know, the thing about bees when they fly up is you know that if something happens, they'll leave the stinger in you. But if a bee comes up and it got, it's got no stinger, then it's like one of those big green beetles that don't know where they're going. Have you run into those things lately? I know you're scared. A lot of people scream. Some of you men scream like little girls. They come by, But all you got to do is slap the thing, and here's why. You can even fly it uh, as a kite if you want to. Here's why. It's got no bite. It's got no stinger. You and I have been delivered, verse 15, from the fear of death. Now, look, I, I said it earlier. None of us are excited about pain or anything like that or parting from loved ones. But here's what we know. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. But that's been dealt with at the cross. The power of sin is the law, but Jesus fulfilled the law. So thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, death is now a doorway. It's not an end for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Now, I'm not trying to rush it along. Like the pastor who looked out at the congregation and said, who wants to go to heaven? Raise your hand. And everybody raised their hand except a little boy sitting in the back. And he went up to him afterwards and he said, why didn't you raise your hand? He said, I want to go to heaven, but I thought you were taking people now. (laughs) I'd like to live a little, you know. Here's the thing. We all have the blessing of living a beautiful life. Uh, I mean, I... I look at my life sometimes and, you know, I have so many blessings to count. And, and I think for all of us, may, maybe this hope that we have, knowing what our future is, that death has been defanged, that we have a future in heaven, co-heirs with Christ, future uh, ruling and reigning on the new earth with him. Look, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
This is the beauty of the gospel. Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Death has no more power over God's people because the devil was defeated at the cross. He had the power of death, but that power has been lifted from him. You could say the devil is toothless now. He can make a lot of noise, and I'm not underestimating his power, but he has no more power in the death category. Christ defeated principalities and powers at the cross and made an open spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Praise be to God, and his victory is ours. Thank you, Father, for the good news of the gospel, for the hope of this section of the book of Hebrews. Thank you, Jesus, for tasting death for me. You've been listening to Jesus Tasted Death for Everyone, part three on Walk in Truth. And that was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 2, 5 through 15. As always, if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please do us a favor and encourage a friend or a family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? The same if you're listening on podcast, please click the share button. If Pastor Michael's teachings have been a blessing to you, then our hope is they'll do the same for someone you care about. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. You know, when you're talking to someone about the gospel, Many times, religious people, I'll put that in quotes, religious people, let's say you're talking to a Jewish friend who's uh, committed to the Old Testament, or maybe you meet a, a Muslim in everyday life, or maybe it's, it's someone in an Eastern religion. Usually, typically, the, the conversation that you might have in common with them is being good. You know what I'm saying? Doing good, noble, righteous things, which... Christians would say amen to all of that. But there's something missing in that discussion. And here's what's missing. What do we do with our sin? How, do we, how does our sin get atoned for? Everybody walking the planet knows they're a sinner. <laughs> they know they've fallen short of perfection. Let's put it that way. So what do we do? How do we share? Well, we have to ask the question, what about your sin? How is your, gonna, your sin going to be dealt with? And, and someone might respond, well, I just hope that God will forgive me one day. And that's when you can launch into the gospel and just say, you know, my friend, God secured your forgiveness by sending his son, God the Son, to taste death for each one of us. And you could go, go into the cross, what happened there, the great exchange of the cross, how God poured his wrath on his innocent son. And when you trust his innocent son, his righteousness comes to you by faith. The great transaction of the cross, if you will, the great exchange of the cross. Our sin goes to Christ. He suffers for it, though he's completely innocent. His righteousness comes back to us. How do you, how do you receive that by faith? You trust in the finished work of Christ. This is what many religious people don't understand. And I wouldn't beat them up over not understanding. I would, I would share with them in the posture of, I have some great news for you. And I think everybody who understands this issue understands how good the news is. This is Pastor Michael Lance, and we're walking through the book of Hebrews. And we've been talking about how Jesus tasted death for each one of us. And we're going to get into our next message. 
And we're going to talk about he is able to help. That is, Jesus knows what it is to face temptation, and he's able to come to our aid when we're tempted. Well, do you know a friend who would benefit from this message? Who doesn't, right? (laughs) He is able to help. We're going to get into the uh, last part of the book of, uh, I should say, chapter two of the book of Hebrews. He is able to help. And we're going to focus on verses 16 through 18. And I'll tell you what, these are some of the most special verses in my personal life that I think I've ever come across in the Bible. I hope you'll tune in. He is able to help. And uh, we'll be doing that tomorrow, Lord willing. We'll see you here. God bless. And remember, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Your contribution helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast, and with the -the behind-the-scenes work for this ministry. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth partner for at least $10 a month and visit walkintruth.com to give. As a thank you, we'll send you more content from Pastor Michael. You'll have quick access to our daily episodes. You can watch videos of Pastor Michael's most recent Sunday sermons and access to our bonus podcast and video series, A Step Closer. This month's series is called An Invitation to Intimacy, a look at intimacy in marriage through the Song of Solomon. All this and more is available to you as a thank you for becoming a Walk in Truth partner. Visit walkintruth.com and click donate. That's walkintruth.com and click donate. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 2, 16 through 18, called He is Able to Help. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.